So we're in Luke uh, chapter 23, and I was thinking as I was preparing the lesson today that everyone knows the old, old story. Uh, tell me again the old, old story that I know so well, and and that's kind of where we're at in, in Luke as he's uh, been interrogated by the chief priest and asked uh, questions that they weren't really interested in hearing the, a truthful answer about. <clears throat> they were just looking to find something by which they could accuse him. <clears throat> and <clears throat> they have they believe they've gotten a response that's sufficient to cause his execution if they can only get him to uh, in front of the right person, which would be Pilate. And that's where chapter 23 picks up today. And so I wanted to kind of explore a little bit about, we know the details of what's going to happen. He's going to go before Pilate, and Pilate's going to quiz him and and declare him flawless. And we'll we'll talk about that and cover that a little bit. But but I just wanted us to maybe look at a few things that. You know, it's just uh, an opportunity to come up here and talk about the manifold grace of of God and <clears throat> things that we don't normally think about in regards to what's transpiring at this portion of Scripture. And <clears throat> I want to start out with reading a couple of Scriptures, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament that have bearing on what we're going to talk about today. And the first one is found, and we and we read this in a, several weeks ago in one of our other uh, messages, and it's found in Jeremiah 29, 11. <clears throat> Jeremiah 29, 11, these words from the Lord to the church. He says, <clears throat> For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. And the thought being there that the church, the, the elect, the sheep, the, the children of God were in the thoughts and in the heart and in the mind of Christ from all eternity, from before the foundation of the world. And then <clears throat> turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3, and we're going to read uh, five verses from Ephesians chapter 3. <clears throat> and Paul's writing to them, and he wants to express some deep thoughts to the church there. And have them be focused on Christ and not on him. And he says, you know, I think he was just always humbled that after his uh, behavior in a prior life, the Lord used him in such a mighty way. And he was just like, I can't believe that, that I'm doing what I'm doing. And God has a chosen, made me a chosen vessel to bear my, his name to the, 
the the church and in Ephesians three seven, he says, "Whereof I was made a minister, according to the gift of the grace of God given me, by the effectual working of His power." Boy, he just calls right attention to what what's required in every aspect of our our journey. Unto me, whom least, less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And you know, there's just, there, it's just a bottomless, topless. There's no, no way to, you know, we just have a. a few minutes to gather around his word this morning and we try to pack into it all that we can the unsearchable riches of Christ and he said and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery and boy it's all the deep things of God are truly a mystery from which from the beginning of the world has been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ and boy I, I kind of highlighted that last part of that sentence, who created all things by Jesus Christ, because that that comes into a play in our lesson today, uh, how important that is and what that really co- encompasses. He says, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers and heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. And, you know, we covered that word manifold uh, many, many times in many, many messages. And in the translation of that word manifold means variegated. Uh, and it's it has to do with mostly in, with color. And it it means a broad expanse of color. And when we talked about the rainbow, we said, well, we could, in the human eye, we can only see like the seven primary colors and some variations between them and around them. But there's an infinite an infinite spectrum of color and light in all directions beyond that. But we can only see just this little bit that's in the middle. <clears throat> and that's what kind of what that word manifold tries to express, that we can only see a tiny bit of the grace of God but it's so immense and so infinite it's beyond it's beyond comprehension it's unsearchable is what paul says he says that might be made known by the church the manifold wisdom of god according to the eternal purposes which he purposed in christ jesus our lord in whom we have all boldness and accidents with confidence by the faith of him and and that's another thing that's critical to highlight is it's the faith of Christ and not our meager little faith that Norm mentioned the other day that we don't even have faith as a grain of a tiny itty bitty mustard seed and we so we depend so much on Christ's faithfulness and so let's pop back into where our lesson starts today in, in, in Luke Chapter 23. And Christ is brought before Pilate here. And, 
and the whole multitude of them arose. That would be all the chief priests and the elders and the soldiers or the the uh, temple guards and things that they used to arrest Jesus. And they led him unto Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ a king. And Pilate asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answered to him and said, Thou sayest it. Then said Pilate to the chief priests and to the people, I find no fault in this man. And they were the more fierce, saying, He stirreth up the people, teaching throughout all Jewry, beginning from Galilee to this place. And of course, then Pilate says, Galilee? Ooh, that belongs to Herod's jurisdiction. So I know where I can get rid of this little problem. <laughs> so uh, <clears throat> we're not going to dwell on that too much this morning, but uh, kind of what we're going to talk about today is the the manifold grace of God and all these things that that are coming about that's that make up the the gospel. <clears throat> Pilate he was in Jerusalem because he normally lived over on the coast at Caesarea Maritima. That was his that was his home digs. But because of the Passover, there was going to be millions of Jews in Jerusalem, and they were a seditious lot. They were always causing trouble. And in fact, uh, some of the ones that were going to be uh, crucified with Jesus were Barabbas was in prison because of seditious acts and murder. So that was in the background. So Pilate had to kind of keep a close eye on this. If there was any trouble he needed to be able to quell it in a hurry. Otherwise, the Romans would put somebody else there, and he'd be uh, he'd be sent off to Gaul or some some uninhabitable place that he didn't want to go. So, so that's kind of the background here. He's he's in Jerusalem, and when he was in Jerusalem, he usually occupied Herod's palace there and and used that as his his office there to administer whatever official Roman business needed to be administered there. And, and so what I'd like to do now is to examine that all of this was by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge and purpose of God. Every detail of everything that has transpired from the beginning, before the beginning of the world, was purposed and willed by God and carried out. And we see that. Uh, we read that verse where he created all things by Jesus Christ. Well, in the ages ago, when the creation was taking place, the tree bearing the seed of the very tree that would become the cross of atonement was created by Jesus Christ and purposed for this one use. Can you imagine that? And, and he's there in front of Pilate and he's saying, 
all things are by my power. I created the very tree that you're going to hang me on. It's right over there. <coughs> I created that for the purpose that you would hang me up on. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Amazing grace, we call that. In Genesis 129, God said, Behold, I've given you every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat. Boy, how much meat is there in the cross of atonement for the church? Before the foundation of the world, there was a lamb slain. Before the foundation of the world, I, I, I just enjoyed so much yesterday at the services for our dear sister Joe. Uh, Norman was mentioning Matthew 25, and he read that verse that said, Come ye blessed, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from before the foundation of the world. I know my thoughts toward you to give you an expected end. That all comes into play here. <laughs> Before the foundation of the world, he prepared a kingdom for his people. And in time, <clears throat> he caused that, cre that tree to be propagated through ages and eons to produce that tree that would be the cross of Calvary. In time, he caused the Romans to be brought into power. Now, that was a result of him by whom kings reign and do his will. Boy, Norman's been bringing that out so so fully in, in uh, Esther and Numbers and all the Old Testament where we, uh, where my servant Cyrus will set my people free and all those things that he causes to have uh, happen and you know it was necessary that the Romans be brought into power because it was necessary for the execution of the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world in the exact manner which was before determined Amen. this it wasn't just a random uh, stuff it wasn't just random happen chance. Well, the Romans just happened to be in power and and therefore they were connived into doing this evil deed. It was determined by God from before the foundation of the world. And most importantly, this lamb was ordained to be the atonement for the redemption of the elect, the church, the, the children of God whom he gave to Christ to to him to be that atonement for them. And long ago, God caused it to be written as he purposed it to come to pass. And, you know, a lot of religion kind of gets it the backwards that, that he just foresaw what was going to happen. And he, he had a really good crystal ball into the future. And, and he could see what was going to happen. He could see who was going to believe. Well, he could do all that because he caused it 
to happen. He determined every detail of everything. In the, the Psalms, uh, chapter 2, the psalmist wrote, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? Why do they imagine a useless thing that they can do away with the Lord of glory and thwart him? That is truly a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. That's just truly remarkable that the human mind uh, in its natural unregenerate state can, can rationalize that. You know, the Jews were not, the Jews have been conquered by the Romans and the Romans uh, removed, supposedly, officially removed their their power to execute anyone, and their their method of execution was stoning. That's how they that's how they executed people. They took them out and stoned them, and I'm talking they were like good sized rocks. They didn't just like little ping pong sized rocks that they threw. They were like rocks meant to break bones and crush skulls and inflict fatality. That was the that was a stoning. And and we find that they actually did stone some some folks. <laughs> they stoned Stephen. They were gonna stone that woman caught in the act of adultery. They were when the when Pilate was over at Caesarea Maritima and nobody was looking, they could say, Yeah, we could take this woman out and stone her, it's just a religious thing. They probably won't even care too much. But you know, Jesus was a different sort of a person. He was wildly popular with the people. He did all these miracles in front of them and healed people and, and all those things that he did to display who he was. And that really griped those people Jewish elders and religious folks because he was people were going after him and we read that uh, in uh, John chapter 11 verse 47 uh, through 51 then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said what do we for this man doeth many miracles and if we let him thus alone all men will believe on him not us and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. And one of them being uh, Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, You know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one should die for the people and that the whole nation perish not. We get rid of him, all the trouble goes away. Things can go back to being like it was. We can be in the religious power. The troublemaker is gone. And this he spake not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation. Interesting that here's a guy prophesying according to thus saith the Lord, uh, even though he didn't really fully understand that. And he was on the one hand plotting his murder, but he uttered words by, by the Spirit caused him to say these things that really had a lot more meaning than he uh, he gave uh, credit for so 
So the Jews not a not really officially able to execute anybody and and they said if we do execute him everybody's going to be mad at us and there's going to be a big revolt and the Roman legions are going to come in and kill all of us. So that's that's off the table. That can't happen. Remember they had to come and take him by night because they didn't want a big crowd watching what they were doing. So the Jews not permitted to execute anybody officially under Roman law. And John eighteen, thirty one said, Pilate said unto them, Take you, take ye him, and judge him according to your law. And the Jews therefore said unto him, It's not lawful for us to put any man unto death. You see, we're not allowed to do that this time, <laughs> officially. And Pilate, again, he would have been in Jerusalem because the Passover was at hand and there would have been a mass of Jews there who would have been in the city for that observance. And uh, the Jewish religionists, they wanted Jesus dead, but he was very popular. To stone him would have caused an uprising and swift judgment. They would have, they would have all been killed. What to do? What do we do? And remember the manifold wisdom of God in all of this. Their minds, their defective minds, <laughs> connived to get the Romans to do their dirty work. So the blame would be on them that nobody liked anyway. But everybody was powerless to do anything against them because they were in control and they had the army there and people were pretty much uh, resigned to whatever happened under under those Romans. The blame would fall on them. The people would fall in line. The priests and the elders would be back in business and happy. All All acting according to their own motivations, yet performing the perfect will of God that we see so often in all the scriptures. You know, a religious squabble wouldn't have been enough impetus for the Romans to execute him because he said, we don't care about your religious junk. That's your business. You guys see to it. So had they been able to do that, they would have stoned him. And of course, that was not in the, in the will of God. Consequently, charges must be made then that would satisfy the Roman requirement for execution. And, and generally that, if you read in the commentaries, that, that crucifixion was... Uh, held out for serious violations and and uh, sedition and uh, they said not only was Barabbas uh, uh, guilty of sedition and murder but he was a robber too and <clears throat> that word robber is uh, there's a couple different words for the that kind of business in the in the Greek and uh, <clears throat> the word for minor theft and it's like 
like if you went into the the marketplace and swiped a melon that would be kleptos theft minor theft like if you were to go into the 7-eleven store and swipe a uh, all the cigarettes and all the <laughs> now that's called a kleptos here in in america because it's a that's a misdemeanor that's what we call that now and the the term for a robber was much more serious and it indicated someone that that physically assaulted someone and robbed them and left and maybe killed them and didn't really care uh, in that uh, narrative about the good samaritan about the man that was traveling remember when we were talking about traveling that road between uh, the upper sea and and jerusalem and and he was all found the he was robbed the samaritan or the the uh, traveler was robbed and left for dead well you don't get left for dead unless something bad has happened to you <laughs> and the good samaritan comes along and takes care of him <clears throat> but that's the kind of thing the 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 word robber where it says barabbas was a thief and a robber he was a, an assaulter and those kind of things generally and and it was a if a slave rebelled against its owner or misbehaved that, that would be the execution that they would and there were various kinds of crucifixion you know we typically have the picture of Jesus with his arms uh, nailed to the cross like this but sometimes they took their arms and bent them backwards over the crossbar and tied them behind their back and then they, they kind of hang there like that and they had various positions that they could make you pretty uncomfortable with until you passed away and most of them uh, involved your lack of ability to breathe which is why uh, they they wanted their legs broken so they couldn't use their legs to raise themselves up where they could get oxygen and if they broke their leg then they couldn't do that so they would die quickly and suffocate <clears throat> so the stoning would not have complied with the determinate counsel of God the son of man must be lifted up that's what it tells us in the Old Testament lifted up in death and that's what Jesus said himself the son of man like Moses wrote of in the desert the son of man must be lifted up and in we read that a, a verse from John 18 a minute ago that said Pilate said unto them take you him and judge him according to your law and the Jews therefore uh, said unto him it is not lawful for us to put any man to death verse 32 says that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled which he spake signifying which death he should die it was determined before the foundation of the world what kind of a death he would die and in John 3 14 15 said as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness this is the red letter Jesus said words 
Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And so it was purposed that Moses, in the Old Testament there in Numbers 21, someday Norman will probably cover that again. <laughs> the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, a brazen serpent, and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass. And brass, you know, in the Bible, that's usually a brass is a symbol, metaphor for judgment. So he made a serpent of brass and put it on a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. And, you know, there was just a lot of people that just wouldn't look up. They said, that's foolishness. The preaching of the cross is foolishness. But unto us who believe, it's the power of God and salvation. And so, you know what? The people that looked up, looked up because God caused them to look up and believe. The Jews, when Pilate would have dismissed the matter, they engaged in loud rhetoric and shouting in the place of producing true evidence of a crime against Rome. And their their charges were demonstrably false in each case. They lied every time as to forbidding tribute. They said, he, this man forbids tribute to Caesar. And Christ said, render unto Caesar the things that be Caesar's and unto God the things that be God. So the exact opposite of what he actually said is what they accused him of. Isn't that funny about religion? <laughs> we, we read that verse from uh, Isaiah 29, 16 here. You're turning of things upside down uh, is how man operates. <clears throat> As to being a rival king attempting to usurp Caesar, Christ said, my kingdom is not of this world. In John chapter 6, the, the he was doing some... Th miracles there with a crowd of people a big mass multitude and he said when he perceived that they would have taken him and made him king he disappeared out of their sight he says, that's not why I'm here <clears throat> so again another another lie that they took the exact opposite thing that happened and turned it around and lied about it to accuse him to the, to the government. <clears throat> it was ordained and rightfully so that Christ would ultimately be found faultless by the ordained powers because that's what God determined had to happen. You should take your lamb and have it examined and if it'll be without spot and without blemish and then it will be killed. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year, and you shall take it from the sheep or from the goats, Exodus 12.5. It had to be, it was determined and written ages before that he had to be declared without blemish. <clears throat> so then we have in Acts 4.25, 
a quotation of some of the verses that we've already read from the Old Testament in Psalms where who by the mouth of thy servant David had said in Acts 4.25, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and counsel determined before to be done, determined before the world was even created. Every detail. And we, you know, we were just reading in Luke chapter 23 about how Pilate said, Oh, he's a Galilean. That's, that's Herod's mess. So they sent him to Herod, and Herod couldn't find anything wrong. We'll read about that in the upcoming verses. But, you know, the, the scripture, the gospel tells us that, that Herod and Pilate, they, didn't, they were at enmity with one another. They didn't like each other. But Jesus was the uniting factor, and they became friends in uniting against Jesus. So from Pilate, the question, Art thou the king of the Jews? To which Jesus replied, Thou hast said. It was a truth, but it couldn't be seen or believed by Pilate or those Jews that were in attendance. Unless a man be born again, he can't see the kingdom of God, even though he was standing right right in front of them and you know unbelief as we've been brought to our attention so often in our Old Testament messages from Norm unbelief is does not preclude God from causing them to fulfill his purpose <laughs> it does not for this power have I raised thee up that I might show my power in thee is what he said to uh, the Pharaoh. And so unbelief didn't cause or preclude God from causing Pilate to fulfill his eternal purpose after he was falsely accused of sedition against the government, but he was officially declared without fault and blameless. And this must be for the effectual working of the substitute, exchanging his perfect righteousness. There's no fault in him him who knew no sin imputing it that righteousness to the people who God had given him and for whom he would lay down his life a sacrifice in their stead took all of our sins and nailed them to the cross in our place you know I've, I mentioned here a couple of messages ago that uh, Martin Luther called that the great exchange imputation is the great exchange he gets all our sin and we got all his righteousness. <clears throat> Paul wrote about that in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse uh, 5. We'll read a couple of verses there. Therefore, <clears throat> if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, and all things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, and all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ 
and given up to us the ministry of reconciliation, the, minis the ministry of spreading the gospel, telling the good news that, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, and not imputing their trespasses unto them, and have committed unto us that word of reconciliation. Now, then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's what's transpiring here in Luke 23. The psalmist relayed the same message in the ages before. In Psalm 32, he said, Blessed is the man... Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. He's not rewarded us according to our iniquity. <clears throat> and in whose spirit there is no guile, no pretending, no acting, no false pretenses, no religious stuff. I... We've gone through that so many times, I'm not going to repeat all the false things that people do to, to proclaim themselves uh, uh, righteous. <clears throat> In Hebrews 9, 14, and we're going to close out reading this. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God? I find no fault in this man. And purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Dead works is the thing that we rely on before regeneration. Works, well, things that we do, things that we've done. And for this cause, he's the mediator of the New Testament that by means of death, someone's sin is going to be paid for and someone's going to die for it. And that person is either us or it's going to be, it was Christ. That by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. And so that tells us the, the title of our message today is what God requires, he supplies. He determined it all before the foundation of the world. He determined it all in eternity. He created each thing to give us an expected end. God will provide himself a sacrifice, is what Abraham said. So we'll close there, and uh, we'll take up the, the interaction between Pilate and Herod and Jesus in chapter 23 again next week. So until then...